Welcome to the Uncut Chronicles. I'm Crystal. I'm Andy. And we are coming to you with information and topics every day, such as culture, trending topics, shit your mammy probably don't need to hear. So come on in with us so we can share more with you about our day. Hey, everybody. I'm Crystal. I'm Andy. And we're here to have conversations that you know, you know, shit your mommy just can't hear. Welcome to the Uncut Chronicles, where we talk about all kind of uh, really dope shit. So today, what we talking about, Andy? All right, let's get into it with Jeezy and Nia's interview. Now, we're a little late on this, but we had to talk about it because first listen, first couple clips, I was like... Oh, you done lost your motherfucking mind, Jeezy. You done lost your motherfucking mind. And Nia, you going too soft on Jeezy because where's the accountability here with Jeezy? But then I had to take a second listen to the interview. Like, get out of my feelings, get out of my bias about Jeezy and really listen to the interview. And I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. There is some trauma there. And... um, we both mutually agreed off air. He is trying. He is. Okay, here's the thing. I feel like there's some deep mom trauma in there because his mother, there was a lot of struggles with that relationship. I feel that that has poured into his relationships with women. I think that happens to anybody. It can be women with a father. Um, anybody's had trauma with a certain type of person um, may struggle with that demographic of people. And so I th- really think that's where a lot of his trauma stems from. I think he means well, but I think he just kind of thought if I go all the way right, to the other direction, whichever direction that is for him, then I think he thought it would be a better choice. And I think, unfortunately, it backfired. I think within him, deep within him, I think he has certain morals and values um, and even some strong cultural um, ideations that are really, really, really nice. And so I really enjoyed his book. I really enjoyed hearing his interview. Yes, he's flawed like we all are, but he's trying. He really is. And I think it just, it didn't work out. And I commend him on backing out early because we don't have to spend all day in the wilderness. We can lead it because I mean, what we need to be out here starving and hungry for. So if it's not working, it's not working. I'm not saying abandon everything quickly, but I think that if it wasn't working to the degree that it sounds like it wasn't working, Mm -hmm. then why should you stay longer? And that's kind of like the point Nia was saying, when do you know it's time to walk away? And, you know, they were at first it was like, you you know, if you love each other, you're going to heal and y'all going to want to do this. I'm like, y'all also have to understand, like, and that's something I had to learn personally. And I'm still learning. Love ain't a fuck enough. OK, love is not a fuck enough. It's, it's never going to be enough. It's not. It's nice. It's nice. But it, I think me and you had this conversation before, like when you're in it's a choice. It's a choice when you're in relationships. It's a choice. I make a choice every day that I'm going to wake up and I'm going to deal with your crazy ass shit. It's a choice. I love you through your good days. I love you through your bad days. But I'm making that choice every day. But what's the hard, firm line in me making the choice when the choice is no longer the best choice possible for everybody mm-hmm. involved? And I think that's what Nia was trying to get at with him, where it's like, enough is enough. Like, okay, I'm making a choice every day, but what choices are you fucking making? Mm-hmm. And I think that's also why I say, like, you know, love isn't enough either. And even sometimes with the choice thing can sometimes not be enough because we are so finicky as humans. We are so finicky. One day I can make the choice of love. The next day I'll be like, your breath kind of smelled weird that day. And that gave me the ick. And I ain't like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so what do you think? I mean, some people felt like he left one culture to go to another because he thought one was better. Do you think that's the case? 
semi yes no because I say yes because I think on both sides we both tend to do black men and black women we tend to do that where we think um the grass is greener on the other side uh-huh. and we're like oh we'll get treated better on this side oh you know this person I don't have to deal with this I don't have to deal with that when truly it's just a reflection of what we've seen growing up and what we've experienced right and we're thinking okay this other race culture they don't get down like that so I can you know I'll have the ideal relationship that I've always wanted and I'm like, you just taking your broken ass over there to do, do the same broken ass shit that you were doing with the same race. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. That's the truth. I'm like, you going over there with Karen, you think shit sweet over there. Karen, like, oh, my fucking God. Hello? <laughs> that's so true. Gosh, that's true. People take their brokenness to another group of people, think that it's going to be better because they are literally dipping themselves in somebody else's culture and bringing the same brokenness. That could fit any person, any situation, any cultural demographic, any background. Wow. That's so true. That's that bullshit. And and then and don't don't go trashing another group of people while you go to a different group of people. Yes. Let's say that you love, you know, uh, I don't know, teddy bears. Don't don't go over trashing the tigers to the teddy bears. That's bullshit. And that's people do all the time. You want to trash one group for the other. But it's you. You, my dear, are the broken piece of the puzzle that keeps going from one group to another. Like I heard this morning, you want to say everybody are dogs, but are you serving kibble and bits? That's the reality. And so I feel like with him, unfortunately, that didn't work. But I feel like Jeezy as a whole is building a brand. If you pay attention, what do you think he's building for? When he brought in Farrakhan and he brought in, oh, I'm making, you, you know, they he talked about how Farrakhan was trying to say, oh, Jeezy, they trying to shoot you down for your message. And, da, da, da. and I said... Farrakhan, what nut ass shit? What do you think Jeezy's saying? And Farrakhan, he was like, oh, I'm trying to go in a different direction. I'm trying to lead people. But I will say, in the time he has said that, he said, at the time, I didn't realize I was leading people straight off a cliff. And I was like, I can appreciate that accountability from you. He did say that. And saying that, okay, while yes, I realized I was building, rebranding, building this new Jeezy and gaining all of these followers... I, within myself, was not right and not in the right mindset to lead these people. And I would lead these people straight off the cliff. And that's what I try to people all the time. I can't follow just any other thing, personally. What you want to do is be a captain to my hell. I think the fuck not. Get, I will knock you off the ship. Off the wheel of the ship, I will knock you off, literally, right. and take the wheel before I let somebody leave me off the cliff. And so I think that's what people forget. People think that because people are in the spotlight, that they literally are only going to lead you to do what's right, what's cool. Who said, you don't know how they're getting there. Why would you follow any person whose values may or may not align with yours? Or if it doesn't align to a place of peace and 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 success within your own right to the, according to you how you define success not how somebody that makes seven figures define it because y'all ain't even living the same life you can't even think in their stratosphere because you make four figures or three the point is is that you know what i'm saying so i think you have to think about that like what is this person talking about you know um that's just kind of how I see it. And so I feel like that was so bold of him and honest of him to say, uh, I was leading, he did, he said, I was leading everybody just straight to the to the brinks of the unknown. He, he said he wasn't well. He said mentally he wasn't his best. He said he was drinking and, eat, and eating things that were just trash. He said he wasn't even drinking water. 
She's like, I'm literally just drinking liquor for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you just nutting motor oil, just. Just, Jesus Christ. If I find out that his sperm is like WD-40, I might die. (laughs) (laughs) I think the hell not. (laughs) Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) Nah, snowman, you got to put that one back. I'm going to be like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Eat some of the snow because this ain't working out. You need some water. (laughs) But man. Okay, so do you think, so I think he might be lining himself up for a dope political campaign in the future, many years down the road. You got a while to go. It's in the making. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And I can also see him semi trying to walk in that Farrakhan kind of brand where he wants to be looked at as a community leader, which could also fall in line with politics, like you said. But I think he really is trying to get out of that stereotypical rapper that from the hood Jeezy and clean up his image and like damn near want to be like Will Smith almost minus the smacking bitches but I feel like he wants to clean it up he wants this he wants access to different kind of money I think yeah and I think that you're looking at uh, think of it like a shine you know how shine went from rapping to politics think about how um the the gentleman uh, from the Central Park um, group, how he ran for office. And like, think about how all those people over time have slowly begun to take the imagery of community and politics and flip it on its head. He's slowly doing that, mm-hmm. writing the book, clean up his rapping, clean up his health, talking about family, being real honest, getting out there. He's slowly building in a very beautiful way. And I think there's something to be said for that. But I think that Nia did an amazing job of having a very candid conversation with him uh, about life. And she, too, was asked by herself because people try to paint Nia along with this apple pie, America's kind of princess mm-hmm. of of uh of the film industry, especially during a time where we didn't really have one. She was it for us, and it was beautiful. But I think she's telling y'all, listen, I didn't grow up eating no apple pie. It was just roadie. You know, that's her. You know, she tell you, you know, I was raised in the hood. I don't know why y'all keep trying to paint me like this. That's not all of who I am. And she talks about her own struggles. You know, I heard somebody say, oh, I think Nia Long is ghetto. And I'm like, all right, but she never denied that's where she's from. I don't think that she's ghetto. I think she's just really down to earth. And sometimes you kept a, catch her slipping. She's going to tell you what she really thinks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's always a bad thing. No, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think that also comes from the narrative people love to create. You know who it, it almost reminds me of? Of like um, Chloe and Haley Bailey. Mm. And how we make... Haley, this more like emphasized, like, oh, Haley would never do that. Haley would never say that. Oh, Haley is such this angel. She would never do this. Y'all, Haley is ghetto as fuck. Why do you think her and DDG are together? They are both Aries, they are menace to society. <laughs> like, I don't know why everybody tried to paint Haley. And I think that also came from her branding with her being in The Little Mermaid. So they tried to make her more innocent and docile. And Haley will cuss a motherfucker out. She is, I think she's 10 times worse than Chloe. Probably. The only difference is Haley just ain't showing her ass. That's the only difference. That's true. And she's not really sexualizing herself. This is true. 
And that's the only difference between the two. But if I was really scared of any of those sisters, it would be Haley. It would be Haley. Chloe don't put no fear in my heart, but Haley, I would probably think twice about. And I feel like people kind of do that to Nia where they trying to make Nia this good girl and we try to paint her to be like, oh, Nia, you hear it in the rap songs. Everybody wants a Nia Long. Yeah. Well, do we know what comes with Nia Long? Mm-hmm. Or it's just a fantasy that we made up in our mind that we project on Nia Long to be this type of black woman that we want her to be. This docile, this fine-ass black woman. She's quiet. She's not like this. She's just beautiful. Yes, she's beautiful, but Nia really looked like she will cut you the fuck out. I agree. I think she will. The question is, do you think that Jeezy normally has a place in Nia, too, to be vulnerable? They they struck a lot of small vulnerability chords mm-hmm. in that interview. How rare is it or how important is it as well that we have those moments of transparency between people of color um, of opposite genders to hear the back and forth dialogue? Super important. But I but like they had said in the interview, Nia had I think Nia has said it. If we had sit downs with more emotionally competent and intelligent Black human beings, we would have a better understanding. We would stop fighting each other. So I think seeing that conversation and seeing that I can have these vulnerable, transparent, trauma-filled conversations with you so you can better understand me and it doesn't result in me calling you uh, SOB, uh, you got daddy issues, you got mommy issues, but we're having an honest and transparent conversation so you can understand this is why I act the way that I act, but I'm healing from that. And this is why I act the way that I act, but I'm also healing from that. But how can we heal together? Well, first, you got to get your individual healing on, because if you're not individually healing, you wasted my time and yours. Both of us. I mean, you know, the problem with one person being in therapy is the other person still isn't getting the help they need. So it's like a person is trying to get well, talking to somebody who's still sick who don't even think that getting well is important. Mm. So I feel like the first step is therapy. Let's talk about what therapy really looks like. How does it feel? Um, you know, I had a relative that asked me recently that if there's a therapy session, they're like, could you, can you, can you let me hear it? And I was like, what? And they were like, can I hear your therapy? And I was like, why? And they were like, I just want to be a fly on the wall. And I was like, that's weird. And finally, as time passed, I realized, I was like, oh, you're wondering what happens in that room. You're wondering if it's scary. You're wondering if it's hard. You just want to know what it sounds like in real life. Ah. And I think that's what people really want to glimpse into. They're scared to do the work to see if something scary is going to happen in the room. It is scary. And it is scary, but not the way they think. No. It, it, it's, it's scary. And I think also you need to come in with an open mind and open heart. And you're going to have to be real with your fucking self. Because I feel like the first two years I went to therapy, I was bullshitting. Because I was in such a denial. I was you like... You was one of those? Yeah, because I was, was like, paying money to lie to yourself? Pretty much. And my therapist was sitting over there was like, bitch, you're the problem. And I'd be looking at her like, no, actually, no, I'm not. Two years straight. I, I disbelieve... No, I'm not the problem. No, I don't have that issue. No, I'm working on myself. I'm way more mature than you. No, I know that's that's their problem, not my problem. And my therapist just sat there for two years and was like, that's, this bitch is the Lulu. She, but I'm going to take the money because Tricare paying for it. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, this bitch is the Lulu. Um, and so I think after I had Zara is where I really got like real with myself. 
And that's when I really started being honest with myself and really trying to fix myself. But I, you know, say all that to say, though, but like therapy is scary, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And you like the person that I, even like six months ago, I'm not even the same person I was six months ago. No, mm-mm, mm-mm, me neither. I think that therapy is a tool. I think that Jesus showed people that you can be a strong man, a man with some with, with morals and values and still be really down to earth mm-hmm. in the hood and see you need help and see the mistakes and see that you can get through it, too. I agree. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this book. Really? I really enjoyed okay. it. I'll consider picking it up. I really enjoy it. Because it's in, he, he like writes it himself. It's in his voice and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such an, uh, he's like, he even said when he was rapping, he said he didn't even know that as he continued rapping and getting bigger, that that meant he should stop selling drugs. He said, if we rapping about selling drugs, he says, I thought that meant we still selling drugs. He said he literally did not know that while, while doing this work, he was doing outside in the streets, that while you over here on this mic, you're not supposed to still be doing it. Because to him, it didn't make sense. It meant he was living a lie. He's like, I didn't know how to live a lie. All I knew was how to be the man I said I was, doing what I said I was going to do. So it that's huge, though. That's huge. Because at least morally, he was lining up with his beliefs. He was keeping his word. He wasn't lying to y'all like these other people out here doing. Stairs and young thug. That's crazy. Stairs and young, god damn it. Exactly. And that's exactly what he was like. It took other rap execs and other high-ranking music execs, other brothers came to the ranks and say, hey, man, you 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 know you can't do both. He's like, what you mean? But we singing about it. That, to me, that said so much about his character as a man. Mm. Good, bad, or indifferent. It said a lot. It is. Because me personally, the first time I signed that ink that deal, I'll be like, all y'all get away from me. No. Quickly. Mm-mm. Quickly. He I was like, I'm never back. Met you a day I got to make life. a quick run to Miami. I got to make a quick run to so-and-so city. I got to... Like he said, he was making, you know, hundred thousands and millions a week. So he didn't understand like what you're talking about. He wrote that book a day too late for Young Thug. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. What do you think it's like to be in relationships with people like that? As someone who has been in a relationship with somebody like that, that is terrible. It is a living nightmare. And I ain't gonna lie, it's a little fun. But it's a living fucking nightmare. What part of it? Everything. Because I think at some point when your frontal lobe starts developing, you like, um, something is not right here. And you kind of like, you can't quite fit, put your finger on it because you ain't, your frontal lobe ain't all the way there yet. So you like, I can't put my finger on it, but something is not right here. Listen, I knew the game wasn't for me one time. I went on a date with this guy and then he, we rolled his car. He had dope old school too. I loved it because I love cars. Anyway, and he was like, hey, can you hold this for me? He asked him his hand. I didn't know what it was. I saw a little baggie. He's like, can you kind of keister this? I was like, what you say? What you mean? He said, just hold it right here until unless somebody get pulled over. I said, let me tell you something. You don't know me like that. And I will sing like Aretha Franklin's canary up in here. I'll tell everybody else secrets. Don't you put me, stop the car. I decided that that game wasn't for me. <laughs> I wasn't taking a charge for nobody. It was Sprint calling me with that $50 phone bill from jail. And I said, hello? <laughs> <laughs> I told Sprint somebody stole my phone because I was like... Already struggling, and I gotta pay fifty dollars to talk to this nigga. 
you can have it. Somebody stole my phone. I don't even know who the fuck condoned these charges. Damn it. The game is not for you. You die down for the call. Uh-uh. Do your middle name me. is not Suki. Yeah, clearly your name is not Sexy Red. Don't it's fucking not call for you. me. When you get locked up, just go ahead, write the letter, let me know you locked up, and then we can leave it at that. Because, baby, I'm not paying them charges on the fucking phone. <laughs> Oh my goodness, y'all. This is, we gotta do a part two. I am Crystal. <laughs> and I'm Andy. And we appreciate you stopping by the Uncut Chronicles where we keep it live and, you know, uncut. All right, y'all. Now, don't let that nigga blow up your cell phone, okay? Just lie and tell him that somebody, <laughs> somebody stole your phone. Peace. The Uncut Chronicles is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities.